Hi, this is Melanie and Charlotte. I thought everyone could do with a moment of tranquility. This podcast was recorded on... It's uh, 210 Eastern on Thursday, July 9th. Remember, things will have changed by the time you hear this. Everyone be safe and be kind. Here's the show. that I definitely need some tranquility. Tranquility now. Serenity now. All of it. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the presidential campaign. I'm Ayesha Roscoe. I cover the White House. And I'm Carrie Johnson, national justice correspondent. Okay, so the U.S. Supreme Court ended its term today with a big decision ruled 7-2 to that a New York prosecutor has the constitutional right to subpoena President Trump's tax returns. A second decision said Congress doesn't have that right, at least in this moment, under these circumstances. So, Carrie, let us let's start with this, though. At a high level, the court found the president of the United States does not have absolute immunity from investigation while in office. That's right, Scott. Uh, in a seven to two decision, like you said, Chief Justice John Roberts basically determined that the uh, grand jury in New York state had the ability to issue a subpoena for President Trump's personal financial records, including almost 10 years of his tax returns. Uh, that rejected an argument from pr- Trump's personal lawyers and the Solicitor General of the Justice Department that would have allowed Trump to uh, basically use the White House as a shield for any of those requests for his personal information. And just to be clear, this is his personal stuff, not any kind of executive privilege based materials or decision making that he did in the White House. It's his money stuff. So let's get into these cases individually. They were both decided by seven to two, both opinions written by Chief Justice John Roberts. The first decision, the one that that says that that presidents aren't blanket immune, it involved the Manhattan District Attorney. Walk us through the other uh, key facts here and key findings. Sure. The Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance had issued a subpoena through a grand jury for almost 10 years of Trump's financial records and tax returns. And they started this investigation after Michael Cohen, a familiar name, Trump's former personal lawyer, testified to Congress that uh, he had helped pay hush money to women during the 2016 campaign um, to keep them quiet as Trump was uh, running toward the presidency. Uh, That led investigators to wonder what was going on with Trump Uh, in the Trump Organization books and records. And so they wanted access to these materials. Today, the Supreme Court said uh, the grand jury is very likely to get them. Basically said there's a public interest in fair and effective law enforcement that cuts in favor of access to evidence, even when it's concerning uh, personal records of the president of the United States. But but Carrie, they're not likely, that grand jury is still not likely to get these documents for a while. And when they did, it'll still be private, right? Absolutely. So under grand jury process, all of that material is super secret. And it's against the law to leak any of that stuff. So if you're found leaking, you could be charged with a crime and put in the clink. Uh, That said, uh, the majority decision um, basically said President Trump can still raise some other arguments, basically that these subpoenas are overbroad or there are other problems with them. But the the ringing endorsement uh, from this majority ruling is that uh, the president is not above the law. And it's quite likely this grand jury is going to get those materials, although maybe not before the November election. But the other ruling today with 
the same majority writer, and, and and I'm right in saying that it was the exact same number of justices voting for it, right? Absolutely. Same lineup, yeah. What's different here? Because on one hand, I'm seeing this and saying you can, and then you can't, and Congress clearly has generally the power to investigate, to oversee. So what what was their reasoning in the second case? Scott, I was just amazed as I was reading this second ruling. It's uh, called Mazars after uh, President Trump's accounting firm. And Chief Justice John Roberts, who wrote the majority again, seemed like he was kind of walking through a minefield. He pointed out that uh, the high court had never been asked to rule on a case like this, which is basically a tug of war or a wrestling match between uh, the Congress and the White House over access to these kinds of materials. And he seemed to really not like it, this clash between rival branches of government, he said. But basically, John Roberts laid out this new test that uh, lawmakers, Congress and congressional committees are going to have to go through to show that they really need some of these kinds of materials. And that might make it harder for Congress in the future to get some of these documents in a timely manner. I guess that's surprising to me because I feel like so many of the rulings coming out of the Roberts court especially when they had to do with, uh, you know, the administration issues, boil down to Congress has power to do things if only it would do them. So here they seem to be saying, rein yourself in a little bit, Congress, or do I have that wrong? Well, you know, Tom Hungar, who had been the general counsel of the House of Representatives and earlier spent a lot of time in the Solicitor General's office, issued a statement today saying he thought this was a major strategy error uh, by the House of Representatives, and it would hurt congressional investigations moving forward. I also heard from Elise Bean, who had been a a senior Senate investigator for many years. She said, um, now there's a whole bunch of uncertainty about what Congress can get and can't get, and it could help push the president and Congress back to the negotiating table to decide things amongst themselves and leave the Supreme Court out of it, which may be what John Roberts was after to begin with. Aisha, speaking of the president, how is he reacting to these decisions? He's not happy. You know, he's not happy with uh, the way this <laughs> these decisions, uh, you know, came out. He sent like, a, you know, a flurry of tweets uh, uh, basically saying that, you know, he was being treated um, the way no other president is being treated. He said that normally presidents get deference, but not me in all caps. What you hear from the campaign is what they're saying is President Trump has released a lot of documents about his financial records and so that this really doesn't matter um and that you know his personal lawyer Jay Sekulow was saying that they look forward to you know raising other constitutional issues at these lower courts to continue to fight this um I I think a big question is how President Trump handles this going forward and whether he's going to let it go or whether he's going to continue to talk about it um it seems likely if based on history that he will continue to kind of gripe about it for a while Aisha, uh, the president is frustrated with the court, but it was two of his nominees, Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, who voted against him in that key case. How is that playing with President Trump's supporters, President Trump's allies? You know, President Trump didn't specifically mention Kavanaugh or, or Gorsuch, but we know that uh, Trump looks at every almost everything through a very personal lens. Um, and, you know, he often goes, I did this for you. You owe me some loyalty. Um, so I can't imagine um, that he is going to be happy um, that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch um, went against him on this. There was some talk when Kavanaugh was nominated that part of the reason that he was nominated was because of this idea 
idea that he would be more deferential to presidential powers. Um, and But that did not help him in this case. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the implications of these rulings and also what to make about this year's Supreme Court term. Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, developing solutions to support strong families and communities to help ensure a brighter future for America's children. More information is available at AECF.org. Whenever you face a choice, it helps to think like an economist. And this week on Planet Money Summer School, we'll start off our course in economics with a workout for your brain, how to decide what something truly costs. Listen now to Planet Money from NPR. Okay, we're back. And Carrie, I want to circle back to something you mentioned before a little bit. Ahead of this ruling, there was a lot of talk about how it might fit into these past big Supreme Court moments where the court ruled with unanimous majorities that presidential power is not unlimited. Does this decision keep in line with those cases or break from it? I think it very much keeps in line with those decisions, Scott. The two that I'm most familiar with involve uh, President Nixon and uh, having to turn over some of the tapes that he made in the Oval Office. That was a unanimous decision from the high court. And then the second was during the Bill Clinton administration, the notion that he would be subject to civil uh, a civil lawsuit over behavior that occurred before he was president of the United States. In both those cases, unanimous courts ruled that the president is a special person, but he can't get away with having to answer for some conduct. And and this uh, opinion in the New York uh, grand jury case, Vance, very much fits in that line. Mm-hmm. Aisha, a lot of Democrats very much want to see President Trump's tax returns. He was the first presidential nominee in you know, more than a generation to never release them publicly. Uh, how are they reacting to these rulings, especially given the fact that, as we've talked about, these tax returns are likely not going to be public anytime soon. Yeah, they're still taking it as a win. Um, you had uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. Biden tweeted this video that he had done a while back, and the video basically says, put out your taxes, Trump, or shut up. Um, and, you know, so he's basically challenging uh, Trump. And I think we can expect to see that going forward, more of that from him, because Biden, of course, has released his taxes. Um, from a Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, uh, she basically said that, you know, they are going to take the standards that were put forth by the Supreme Court that Congress has to meet to, you know, get information to satisfy their subpoenas, that they feel like they can meet those standards and that they're going to move ahead with trying to get this information. But like you said, it's not going to happen before the election. So, Carrie, we had talked about this a couple times before with other big rulings, but I feel like today's ruling really underscores this theme of the of the close of this term of Chief Justice John Roberts really seeming to try to make a political point that the court is not political and also, once again, underscoring the importance of the letter of the law. What what do you think the the takeaway from all of these Roberts rulings is? Yeah, well, you know, uh, he had come out and said in the last couple of years that there are no such thing as Obama judges and Trump judges. And certainly the lineup in today's cases in particular, uh, with respect to executive power and uh, congressional oversight, would give some credence to his argument that you can't always predict how a a justice is going to vote based on the president uh, who appointed them. Uh, But he's got a hard job moving forward, Scott. I mean, he handled uh, some 
immigrants' rights cases and abortion rights cases this year. He handled a, a bunch of other cases about civil rights, and he tried to walk a fine and narrow line. Uh, at some point, that's going to get harder and harder to do in the future. I certainly know this. He's a guy who's in desperate need of a break right now. So <laughs> it's a good thing they're on break for the summer. Yeah. Uh, Aisha, we've talked so much on the podcast about how the courts are such a big selling point for conservatives for President Trump. You know, he he trumpets them all the time. He talks about all the, the judges appointed. He talks about Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Do you think all of these decisions complicate that pitch that he's trying to make to conservatives? I don't think it, it does. And if it does, not very much. Uh, President Trump still has a record that he can point to for appointing so many conservative judges. They There were big wins, you know, even just this week on, you know, religious freedom, you know, when it came to contraception and, and things of that nature. So he does have things that he can point to and that I think conservatives can point to that they have gotten from the judiciary. And I think what they are looking at is a very long term uh, goal of remaking the whole judiciary and that this will come and pay dividends down the line. Um, So I think that's an argument that he still has. And these issues, especially about the tax returns and stuff like that, was very specific to President Trump and to him as a candidate and not necessarily, I, I don't think you can really extrapolate that to just a larger conservative ideology. All right, that is a wrap for this Supreme Court term. It is also a wrap for today's podcast. But we will be back tomorrow with our weekly roundup. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover the presidential campaign. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I cover the White House. And I'm Carrie Johnson, national justice correspondent. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. <laughs>